It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 734 of Accelerate. That's episode 734 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have another excellent episode lined up for you today. Coming back and joining me for a second time on the show is Sean Shepard. Sean is the founder and CEO of GrowthX. GrowthX is a Silicon Valley-based venture capital partnership with an accelerator focused on sales. And in this week's episode, I'll be talking to Sean about what he calls the lasting mover advantage. And we've all heard of the first mover advantage. Well, in our conversation today, Sean and I are going to talk about why it pays to go slow up front in order to grow faster later. And in this conversation, Sean and I dive into the three things you need to own as the sales team to establish that lasting mover advantage. We'll talk about why it starts with owning the customer use case, and we'll dig into that. After that, once you own the customer use case, what must you do to own their thoughts and actions that they take around it? And we'll also get into how to design an organization around the knowledge, skills, and behaviors that you need to keep owning the use case as it invariably evolves. And lastly, we'll get into why it's so important for companies to have a learning mindset to maintain the lasting mover advantage. So we'll get into all that. We'll get into more. But before I get to Sean, I want to take a second to talk to you about VanillaSoft. VanillaSoft is the industry's leading sales engagement platform, but most people simply refer to it as the solution. It's the solution to ensure sales development reps make the right number of attempts for every lead. It's the solution to ensure sales development reps use more than just email, that they consistently use LinkedIn and the dreaded telephone as part of their sales playbook. It's the solution to serve the sales development rep the next best lead over and over again so they actually hit their numbers. The solution starts with the right sales cadence, and that's why you need to check out VanillaSoft's guide on sales cadences. It's titled, Sales Cadences, What Works, What Doesn't, and Why You're Frustrated. So you can get your copy now at VanillaSoft.com forward slash Andy Paul. That's right, get your free guide on sales cadences at VanillaSoft.com forward slash Andy Paul. Okay, let's jump in today's episode. Sean, Welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Glad, glad to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you back. I mean, for a, I know it's an audio show, but uh, if I could just use my words for a few seconds, describe your backdrop. I'm looking at this beautiful backyard in Orinda, California, all this lush greenery. Very nice, <laughs> as opposed to my sort of industrial background where I am. <laughs> Thank you. This is my happy place. This is my, this is my zen, zen garden away from uh, the madness of the world. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Do you actually uh, meditate in your Zen garden? I try. Every morning I try to do, you know, a couple of minutes. So do you use one of the apps like Calm or? No, I've learned from a lot of those things. I just sort of, to me, like anything, I think it, med- med- meditation is a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've just learned over the years how, what works for me. Yeah. Um, which is really just to, just to take in, you know, um, my surroundings and try and be wholly aware of, of the sights and sounds of nature <laughs> and use that to start the day with, with in, in sort of a very calm and, you know, nice focused way. Nice. Yeah. yeah I, I, my phone is as long as I possibly can. <laughs> yeah. Until you get distracted, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a while since you've been on the show. So 
maybe refresh listeners a little bit about GrowthX. You're the founder CEO of GrowthX. So tell people a little bit what. Uh... Sure. Um, I mean, GrowthX began with it's a Silicon Valley based venture capital partnership that also has an accelerator that's focused on sales, not product. And it has an academy that trains people not just in sales, but in marketing, design thinking, and data science, all the things that move the needle on the market development side of the business, not the product development side of the business. Mm -hmm. The reason is, is that we found as serial entrepreneurs turned investors, turned frustrated investors, because our companies weren't succeeding, um, we found out that they weren't succeeding because of sales and, and behaviors, not because of product and technology. Right. And we built our entire program and our core focus, what we call our market acceleration program, uh, which everything sort of built out of, um, uh, all focused on developing markets and making money, not developing products and raising money. And so when you think about things through that lens, it changes very much what you prioritize and, and, uh, and what you contribute mm-hmm. back to your companies and to the talent uh, to the investor community, to the entrepreneurial community, and to the talent that wants to work with them. Right. Very cool. All right. Well, we're going to uh, – what's the topic we would said we we're going to talk about, which I think is really interesting because there's a lot of sales implications for it, is this whole idea of um, – you emphasize not first mover advantage, but last mover advantage, or lasting mover advantage, yes. excuse me, yes. to be, be precise. Um so let's let's dig into that because everybody hears about the first first mover advantage, um, and you're saying, hey, that's not always an ad- that's not always where you want to be. Yeah, I just has sort of had one of these um, uh, one of these uh, moments where I was able to stand back and look at the last forty plus years of my life growing up in Silicon Valley, where you know this has obviously been a hotbed of tech and and the movement of tech, um, and start to observe. Um, you know what really has transpired through the through the normal course of doing business and mm-hmm. say a market's development cycle, because you get you know when you when you're playing in the seed stage venture business like I play in, you know we're dealing with early product, early market, early customers, early revenue opportunities, and I find myself having to constantly educate and remind my portfolio companies and just the founder community at whole uh, on the whole at large to to, to to go slow in order to be able to go fast later. Mm-hmm. Not think about scale yet, right? They, they raise money based on the idea of this massive market that they can get a right. percent. And then they go to market thinking that that's just going to happen. And then the behaviors just go right down the tube. Um, and, and they never actually stop and go back to the pebble in their shoe and go, okay, for example, not what's my best customer, but who's my first customer? And what do they look like? Mm-hmm. And how do I approach them? And we call it the initial customer profile. Right. Who's our Mr. Right now, not our Mr. Right, as I like to joke. Right. And so, and so through the course of that, I just started to have to go back and think about in my life. And, and you, know, you too, Andy, knowing you spent so many of your formal years here in the Valley as well. Um, if you look at the five most valuable companies today, um, none of them were first mm-hmm. in, in, in what they were, they were doing, right? right. Apple did not create the, the GUI interface. Xerox did it. At, right. At, Park, at, right. Right. Um, there were, um, there were very successful. I, I mean, we can go back to, we can go back to Tandy. <laughs> <We can> go, <laughs> yes. TRS-80. You know, yes. Yeah. I mean, we could go to these companies 
um, that were very strong in the personal computer business that mo- that many people are going to be listening to our podcast have never heard of. Yeah. Uh, and and then and then we can also go to um, uh, Google was not by any stretch the first search no. engine, a successful one. Yeah. Right. I mean, we used Dogpile and we used Alta Vista. <laughs> Alta Vista. Um, I mean, there were so many um, coming through back then. Um, you have, um, you know, you have, uh, you, there's just a wide variety of those examples. You know, uh, obviously Netflix is crushing it right now, sure. but you know, Blockbuster was around doing that stuff long beforehand. Um, yeah, I was just and- reading an article yesterday, a story about uh, when Netflix met with Blockbuster and Blockbuster offered to buy them for $50 million. And yes. uh, Reed Hastings and the co-founder, his name I forget, is actually written by his co-founder, Dale Surf. Laughed and said, "Yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see you guys later." Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you're absolutely right. I, and I, and I'm not going to share any information, but I just came back from a big conference in Amsterdam with one of our portfolio companies, where we had a very similar experience. And and we have had, um, we believe that if things go the way they're going to go, we have a multi-billion-dollar opportunity on our hands instead mm-hmm. of a several million-dollar opportunity, and we have the courage of our conviction to go down that path. Right, because of those kinds of experiences in the past that that have informed us into here's where the market is going. The folks that want to buy us will, uh, you know, I don't want to say bury us, but but they um, they certainly don't know how to typically integrate these acquisitions very well into their organization and then capitalize Correct. them. Correct. Um, yeah. Well, so you look at those instances. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No. I, go ahead. I would, I was going to make a point that was a digression, not uh, not furthering the conversation. So okay. go ahead. <laughs> that's all right. We're sales guys. We love to digress. Um, so um, at, at any point, the, or at any rate, the point is, is that if you look at Amazon, they were not the first e-commerce player by any stretch right. doing what they were doing. Um, I mean, just pick it, right? I mean, you can look around you and rarely do you see something that was first to market that was able to sustain their position in the market over time. Um, and, and so, uh, I found myself just wanting to try and, um, take my learnings and then just apply it to our framework for helping our companies find product market fit, as we like to say, and then just get very clear about three things that you need to go after in order to build a lasting mover advantage. And there are three things that I noticed that in the, in the most successful, lasting companies come back over and over and over again. Um, and so the first one I think is most important is owning a use case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk about ownership when I talk about these three things, because I think there's an intent. I, I, I don't want it to be an arrogance of ownership. I want it to be, um, a, a, you know, a, an earned ownership. I want our mindset and our attitude to be that my job is to earn the right, um, through sweat equity, mm-hmm. if you, you own a piece of this use case of this particular customer in a particular market and make the bet that if I can solve it deeply and correctly and create real value through the course of that with this one customer or these two or these three or these four, but the same use case, um, that I can, that, that there are many, many others like them in the marketplace. Right. And then, therefore, my risk becomes execution risk, not product and technology risk. Um, and so, if I'm focused on that, I want to. That starts by clearly defining the problem, 
which most of us so gloss over and that we don't have clarity around. And then mutually working with that initial customer profile to clearly, deeply define the problem. Like Einstein used to say, if you can't explain it well, you know, if you can't explain it enough, you don't understand it well enough, right? Yeah, and I think that by the same token, though, is it's not that a first mover can't do that. Correct. But it's interesting that oftentimes they don't. And well, they, and they, they, get, they lose sight of it, and they stop doing it. Well, they assume they're right just because they got the first one. and true. Right? And I think that's where the, oftentimes the downfall comes is they get sort of the arrogance of saying, well, yeah, I've got these logos that said this is the right thing, but it's moving target, and they got complacent. That's right. And I think complacency is an example of it. You and I were talking off the air just beforehand um, about, um, about um, future-proofing, mm-hmm. right? And just generally about it, the innovation economy and how quickly things change and move. Right. And, and, and where I see things, uh, and, and you and I talked about also, use the term ambiguity as opportunity. And mm-hmm. I talk about embracing ambiguity. Um, and so we, we share a similar vision there. I think the point is, is that, is that when, when some, when change is introduced of any sort, it creates new problems and opportunities. Right. So if we're concerned that 40% of the workforce is going to be out of jobs because of robots and automation in the next 30 to 40 years, yes, they may be out of the current jobs, but every new innovation creates a whole new set of problems and challenges. Mm-hmm. Which therefore means bringing this all back in, into focus is, is that the use case is constantly in, in changing. Right. And it's changing faster now at a faster rate today than it ever has before. We know, we know the statistics around things like you know, the, the ten, average tenure on the S&P 500 in 1970 was 75 years. Today, it's about 10 to 12 right. years. We know that Jeff Bezos even had the courage in the, in the, in the last quarterly uh, shareholders meeting, or maybe it was the one prior, to say, I'm worried about whether or not Amazon's going to be around in 2035, mm-hmm. um, which is just a shocking thing for the market or anyone to really hear, but it's the truth. And, yeah, I mean, there's this assumption of invulnerability with these, these big players, and, and, and I remember – uh, you know, back in the '90s, putting together this like portfolio for my my IRA, which mm-hmm. uh, on the advice of a you know advisor was, well, you know, we need to stock it with some core companies that just aren't going to go away, right? <laughs> yeah, and so those those companies, yeah, you, know, you could probably predict like AT and T, Motorola, Texas Instruments, they sort of go down the list, and it's like, yeah, all of them. Either gone away, been you know the name may still exist, but it's a completely separate company. I mean, all right. these things. It's just like, and that was yeah, that happened in a matter of ten years. Well, you're absolutely right. So the point is, is the the, the use case is, is never static for an, for a period for an extended period of time. It's constantly changing. But the, but you do need to find that hook, as my friend Nir Eyal, mm-hmm. uh, author of the book Hooked: How to Build a Habit yep. Forming Club, um, has, has said. You have to find that one thing. What is that one singular use case that I, I can, through sweat equity, learn, understand, and, and have shared ownership alongside of my early customers to ensure that I survive long enough to get to the next opportunity? Mm-hmm. But never change that mindset that that use case is constantly moving. And I don't know if we've talked about this before, Andy, but you know, my father was an officer at Intel Corporation, and I was fortunate enough growing up to be in, you know, in, in dining rooms with Andy Grove and Bob Noyce and Gordon Moore. And, 
and, and Craig Barrett and Paulo Delini and Mike Splinter and all these guys that all subscribe to the only the paranoid survives. Mm-hmm. That Andy, Andy um, Grove talked about, right? Grove talked about constantly. It's still one of the all time great books. Don't, don't let the term paranoid scare you away. Um, it was a positive and productive paranoia um, that came from an engineering mindset and a Hungarian immigrant, right? Who didn't even speak English when he came to this mm-hmm. country. Um, that said, we constantly have to be staying out in front of everyone and everything and all, at all times. Right. And, and so, so that is, um, to me, um, the mindset of the leadership and then the people that they put in place to, to execute against that has to be, we need to clearly define a use case right now. Let's try to truly deeply, deeply, deeply solve it for all use case, all user types and all scenarios and don't focus on anything but that. Like we tell our companies sometimes, if you're not, you know, one of my partners, Andrew Golder, loves to do this with founders. He says, I want you to take me through an entire day of your life, minute by minute. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I want you to tell me what you're doing during those minutes. And then I want you to ask yourself, it's a very simple yes or no question. Is that thing focused on getting somebody to transfer money from their bank account to yours? Right. That's simple. Right. So getting really focused in order to do that, you've got to start. You have to you have to begin in this shared connection of, yeah, there's a freaking problem here. And here's what the problem is. Uh, how do we solve it? Um, and then be focused wholly and exclusively on on um, solving that problem. And then once you do, it creates those challenges, those learnings, those insights and those opportunities to change any number of things. Which brings us into that second thing, which is, okay, now that you've figured out how to, how to develop an environment where you can own a use case with your customer, how do you now own their thoughts and actions around it? Because we now live in this time where how we think is just as important as what we think. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and the more I do this and the more time I spend with smart, successful people, the more they focus on how people think. Mm-hmm. And comment around it as opposed to just what they think. Yeah, and so and so you get to a point where okay, now that I've owned this use case, we've learned the following things. Based on that, what do we do about it? And who's responsible for that? You and I were talking a little bit offline just about you coming back from this Gartner event, where you know people are trying to figure out that the next thing is okay. How do I make good decisions with all this awesome information that's right. at my fingertip? That's a how to think thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's a framework thing. Yep. So that's. Now there's thoughts and actions that have to be, um, uh, uh, you know, performed um, by everybody involved, the customer and yourself. And you have an opportunity as the person who helped define the problem and develop uh, a solution within that use case to also come to the table with, here's how I'm thinking about what we do next based on what we did yesterday and what we've learned and not be afraid to do that. And if you've developed a, a strong enough um, uh, you've developed enough credibility through the course of executing against solutioning against that problem with your customer. They're going, whether they say it or not, out loud, explicitly, they're implying that you need to do this part next. Like, where's the data? Show yep. me how this works. Yep. Like, every new technology solution always has reporting come last. There's a reason for that. We don't know what the hell is happening mm-hmm. until we actually start doing it. And then if you're really good at it, the information you generate off of the use case solution is more valuable than the solution itself. 
All 20, yep. And so, so now it's about, all right, now how do I come in and analyze and, and create an opportunity to change the way um, this, this use case is viewed and how it's dealt with and what we can do next based on that? So that's the, those are the opportunities that come up from solving that problem. And oftentimes we get static and we, because we want to think about everything at scale and we're back to the total addressable market. It's like, okay, if I can do this in this way, that generates this much revenue um, over this period of time with a compound annual growth rate of X <laughs> and here's my CAC LTV right. and it's infinitely scalable and blah. Yada, right? yada, yada. Yep. Exactly. And meanwhile, we're not focused on making sure that, uh, that as, as the use case evolves, um, our, our, our approach towards owning it evolves with it and therefore the thoughts and actions um, come, come from there. Well, it's so an interesting question then from, you know, from a sales perspective about owning that use case is as the use case evolves, it has implications for the nature and the structure of your team. Yes. And so why don't you dig into that a little bit? Because I think this is, this is a part that I think is, I see it as sort of a failure point oftentimes for smaller companies is they're not as nimble, as agile with their team makeup compared to the evolving use cases. That's right. That's, you're, you're, you're very much right about that. Sales organizations are wholly focused largely on acquisition, right? As we mm. like to say in the modern term. Close the deal. Get the deal in the door. And because we're so invested in that, uh, we invest in marketing at the top of the funnel. We invest in sales development uh, beneath that. We invest in, in account executives there. We might even invest in technical support and help to help us through a complex sale environment or a highly technical one. And then we, we, we forget about um, customer implementation, onboarding, adoption, retention, and growth. And then we're late to the party on trying to solve for that. Mm-hmm. And we end up with churn and all those issues associated with that. The key here is to do what we call creating, create a functional learning organization out of the team responsible for owning that use case. So you have to, as you say, design an organization around the individual roles and responsibilities that you hypothesize are necessary, the, the, the knowledge, skills, and behaviors necessary to get through owning, uh, that, learning about that use case, defining it, um, solving for it, owning it, and then creating, um, and then when you get into step two, which is uh, owning the customer's thoughts and actions, you better have the right skill set there. It's not necessarily the sales guy who's going to be or girl who's going to be able to, to to do that. You need you might need to bring in a data scientist. You might need to bring in a digital analyst. You might need to bring in a subject matter expert uh, that's a voice of the customer. Um, you might need to bring in all three. You might need to bring in you certainly early stage. You have to bring in product development and product management mm-hmm. heavily into that process. And everybody has to be working through what we call a functional data driven learning loop, where there's somebody responsible for driving that loop, but they're bringing in people from the different areas of both sides of the organization to prioritize that. So who typically drives that functional learning loop? Well, in our companies, it's always the, the person who's responsible for, the, for market development, whether that is the uh, a founder or co-founder mm-hmm. on the business side, it's the first sales hire, um, but it's that person is responsible for identifying and resourcing to build that functional learning organization and the loop that's associated with it. If it's your first sales hire, then it's not necessarily, it's not going to be a, your run-of-the-mill individual contributor. It's going to be... Correct. 
there's uh-huh. a set of characteristics and attributes that uh, that we that we look for in the person who's responsible for taking something to some place new, for identifying, initializing that customer use case and uh-huh. executing that hypothesis that we think we can help people with this problem in this way, and they can generate these kinds of results from that. Right. Um, it's a very different person. It's just who we are. We're talking about people who know how to embrace ambiguity. They have a strong, uh, they have a strong acumen for learning as you call it, continuous active learners, uh-huh. embrace ambiguity, um, who have a strong business acumen. Right. They understand um, how, to, how, to, how that problem affects and impacts that company's business, that person's business or job. Uh-huh. They know how to articulate that with strong communication skills. Right. They also know how to speak to engineers and humans, as I like to joke. Uh, <laughs> so... So this this person is sort of the yeah you know, the term that's been used in the past sort of the Renaissance type right exactly Mark Leslie's term and Charles Holloway's term yeah. of the Renaissance rep and yeah. in, 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 in in large corporations who are trying to innovate we call it the role of the commercialization leader and it's actually a, a role that GrowthX corporate and uh, we have a big innovation practice now where we manage venture capital for corporations we also help them create open innovation business models where they can run their own industry-led accelerators, mm-hmm. technology and talent from outside their community to help them uh, work on disruptive and adjacent um, innovations. But more importantly, the, our true differentiator is, is we teach them how to commercialize new innovations. And it starts with this whole same framework that we use to help our startups take a product to market. Right. And it takes that renaissance rep role and it evolves it into what we call the commercialization leader. And now we're starting to put that out into the world and tell the story like about Yeah, because they don't exist in these companies, Andy. You know as well as I do. The people that are running these big organizations are not the ones that started them. And so they have a very different mindset to begin with. Right. And they don't have somebody who, who is part product, part market, part business, embraces ambiguity, has an entrepreneurial spirit, can talk to humans and engineers uh, and drive this learning loop um, and have enough exposure to every aspect of the business to know how to pull all that together. Well, right. And that's the, the critical point, I think, is, is people sort of look at, at initial sales hires where they make so many big mistakes is this is a person that has those attributes you talk about. They still need to close business. Yes, sir. <laughs> that's, it's, it's great to do all these other things, and they have to. But the yeah. critical thing that sometimes companies forget is either they hire somebody that wants to be a manager, because you sort of yeah. describe something that, is sort of a managerial role with that sort of acumen and insight and ability to sort of take it to the next level. But they also, they're a player coach. They want to play too. They got to play. They got to be able to bring the bring the business in. I remember uh, one company I was with that's hired to start a division, and yeah, the CEO. I said, you know, so what's the charter? Where should I start? The company had no products. They had technology, and he mm-hmm. said, anywhere you want. As long as the customer pays for the development of the product, go sell them anything you want. But there's that type of thing. Is you know we had to go yeah. define everything, and but you still have to bring customers in. Well, sure. And so and so when you're told that, does that send a tingle up your your spine? Is complete excitement? I can't wait oh, to sure. try this. Or does it make you? Does it make your, you know? Does it make your uh, your heart fall into your stomach like it does with a lot of people? And that right there, how you react in that moment tells me who you are. Yeah, doesn't mean you're a bad person that you you're not stage not relevant. Right, that's right. You're, you're not, we call it stage relevance, right? I like it's that term. About, it's about the turn. It's about finding somebody who's stage relevant. 
And it's about that dynamic of taking something someplace new. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's in a big, because it's not about the stage of the company. It's about the stage of the product uh, in a market. And that's why it's, it's working so well in, those, uh, in, those, in, the, um, in the corporate environments where we've applied it. And oftentimes, look, we've been able to find successfully, we've been able to find internal hypos, high potentials, mm-hmm. large organizations that, um, that raise their hand and want to do this. And then when they're properly vetted and screened, and then they're, they're sitting two in a box with, with, with uh, one of the GrowthX commercialization leaders learning this process over six months to a year, mm-hmm. they're doing great. Mm-hmm. Now it's becoming a known role and function inside business units of different organizations. It's not just, it doesn't just sit in R&D or in emerging technology or any of those areas. It actually sits in these areas. <laughs> Sean, Sean's off to handle a canine yeah, emergency. A canine emergency. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. Um, big German shepherd running around. Um, but, uh, but they sit successfully inside of business units and, t- and are tied to the P&L. Yeah. And supporting the digital transformation, as we call it, of business model transformation. They're launching technology products or they're changing business models in a way that, that have never been done before. Right. You have a little dog, too. That is Tamale, the Chihuahua. Yes. <laughs> Who, which one sets off with the other one? Uh, <laughs> there's actually a third dog that sets them both off. That's, oh, okay. the, that's the rescue named Laura. So okay. All right. She's the, one that, she's the one that initiates it. All right. <laughs> so, well, I, I dig into this issue of stage relevance because, again, we were talking about a little bit earlier before we started recording about uh, one of my daily email notes I'd sent out about future proofing. And, and stage relevance really relates to that, right? Because um, I, mean, I love the idea of stage relevance because people have to understand that that as companies evolve, as use cases evolve, and so on, that it's it's okay. You may not evolve with that, right? You may have an area of expertise within the sales profession that is, but even that is going to evolve too, right? The way that we do things, the way we reach out to customers, the way we talk to them, and so on, that continues to evolve even in that stage that you might be a specialist in. So you need to keep keep improving, keep learning. Um, but yeah, I, I learned that lesson in my career that yeah, it's 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 okay. You're not not always going to be the best at everything, even though you want to be the best at everything. And no. the decision has to be made as a as a manager of the company to say, who yeah, who's who's the most relevant person to put on this? Who's most suited for um, you know uh, for taking something someplace new, and then who's most suited for leading you know, uh, you know leading and driving that uh, the, the the either the either the proactive change uh, in getting out in front mm-hmm. um, or or responding to it very quickly and if you want to last uh, it, you, you're gonna have to do that a lot more now than you did 15 20 30 40 50 years ago because the, the rate of change and the pace at which things change now is never got has never been faster and it will continue to to accelerate and so you have to be prepared for that yeah. Well, I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is, again, back to the topic we we're talking about is, is the way that you, you prepare yourself for that is you have to keep learning. You know, if you're a seller, you know, if, if you're selling in a market, I sort of use the analogy sometimes is that, uh, yeah, I work with customers. I'm sure you see this all the time is, you know, somebody puts together a business plan and 
the rate of growth they're projecting their business plan is less than the rate of growth of the business, they're, the industry they're in. Yeah. <laughs> right? yes. And yes. you're saying, well, how's this going to work? Right? You know, this is yeah. not sustainable. If you're growing slower than your market, well, if you're a salesperson, the same thing is true. If you're evolving less rapidly, or if you're growing less rapidly than the way the markets that you're serving are growing, then it's inevitable. Eventually, you're going to fall too far behind. Uh, and you have to change, yes. look for a change in profession or whatever. And that's your choice you want to make. But it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, it's never been easier to learn. And, and this is, this is the, the big hurdle. And I'd be interested to get your advice on what, what you'd give people. Is This is the big hurdle these days for people in sales, and people in every profession. But we're talking about sales here today because it's, it's not purely a sales issue. But how are you evolving? How are you learning? What are you committing? Because it's not you can't count on your company to do it for you. It doesn't matter how big a company you're in. You can't count on them to keep you current. This is something you got to do yourself. Absolutely. Uh, so I've always been, uh, my fundamental philosophy in sales generally has always been the same. There's no distinction between personal development and professional development. If you right. develop the person, you'll develop the professional. Right. And I don't think there's ever been a time in history where that's been more prevalent and more necessary um, and more critical than it is today. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it, at the same time, like you said, it's also never been easier to learn. So this is just simply about changing some, some habits. And, and, and you don't even have to do this at scale. You can do this, this, these changes very simply. For example, um, I, don't listen to, I don't listen to music in the car or talk radio. You know, I listen to you. Mm. I, Yay. Podcast, I listen to Joe Rogan. I listen to, I listen to, you know, I listen to books. I yep. read, I read, uh, Blinkists when I'm, mm -hmm. uh, when I'm, when I'm, uh, That's a book summary for people that don't know about Blinkist. Yeah. yeah for those of us who've been book summary junkies forever. Cause I was on the old sound view and yep. the executive summary things back in the day. Blinkist, uh, I've been a Blinkist user since I only wish I could, you know, had an opportunity to invest in them early on. They're based they're out of Germany. Didn't know they existed until I found them too late, but, um, an incredible place because 90% of books are fillers designed by publishers to set, to sell at a higher price. What are the 10% key takeaways from every book Yeah, and that you can absolutely implement? That's what Blinkist does. It distills it down to that. First so 50 there's pages. A, yeah. Look, and I was never somebody, uh, uh, I was never a voracious reader in the traditional sense. Like I don't read nonfiction. Um, I read, I read, I mean, I don't read fiction, excuse me. I only yeah. <laughs> read, I read biographies. I read history. I read, right. I read self-help and personal development. And I, I just, those are the things I love. I'm constantly interested in learning more about why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. Me too. Because <laughs> it's not conscious. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways for all of you to digest information and constantly learn from it. Um, but you have to have that initial mindset that says that this is, a, this is, I'm doing this for the carrot, not for the stick. Not doing this out of fear. I'm doing this out of this opportunity to, to learn and grow and be better. And then, and then, uh, and, and I think you'll see instantly if you have the awareness to to pay attention to it, um, how your life will just slowly will start to change in a very positive way. It has to be a deliberate commitment, and I think that this yeah. is um, the example I use, which is <laughs> is. Uh, yeah, turn off the Bachelor. Yes, uh, or <laughs> the uh, whatever Housewives of of Real Housewives or whatever, 
Yeah. And you record the football game and watch it later with no with commercials. That, with no commercials, and you've yeah. you've created time for reading. Absolutely. Um, There's a lot of ways to do it now, and that's the point: is it's never been easier to get access to that information and have um, time to do it. Quite frankly. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And and it's not just sales related content, although that is where you should start. It's yeah. Well, I- that drives you know, what it is to be human and what, and, and, and what, uh, and, and how you can improve yourself. Yes. So that the response that you get from the rest of the world is, is, is better and more valuable for you, your family and your community. Absolutely. Than it was Absolutely. Well, I could have yeah. said it better. So we're going to end on, we're going to end on that note then. <laughs> we only got through two of the, we only got through two of the movers, but whatever. We'll come, we'll come back. We'll come back. Yes. It won't Hello. be, a, won't be as long this time. We'll have you back. Well, the problem is, is that you and I should have started recording it, you know, when we first started. <laughs> we first started. That's usually the case. We talked for half hour, good stuff, but of course we had some personal stuff in there too, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. So for people that want to learn more and, and talk about the new sort of self-serve GrowthX uh, that people can get access to as well. Yeah. Um, GrowthX.com, uh, the letter X uh, attached to growth. Um, and then GXAcademy.com is GrowthX Academy. And you can learn whether you are an entrepreneur, uh, you are a seller, you're, you're, you are um, a, a corporation, um, you're a, you're a government. Um, we do a lot of civic innovation work these days as well. There's a lot of different ways that uh, you can take advantage of this, but we've just open sourced our core market acceleration programming content, hashtag GXMXP. You can find it on Twitter there. You can just go to growthx.com and subscribe. And every Wednesday or Thursday in your inbox, you're going to get a sequential, um, piece of content that talks about the next step in market development, uh, how you can apply that and what you're currently doing. And then any and all the relevant tools and documents to go with it. Yeah. And there's a little bit of backlog. I think you're like on number 14. I, th- I signed up. Yeah. Our intention started. is to do 50 of these. And, uh, you know, we've got 50 in the can. And yeah. we'll do one a week. And we will continue to evolve and update it. It's designed to be evergreen content based on what we learned today. We'll update and make some changes as we go. Um, but this is the preview. We call it our blog to book series because eventually this will become our book. That's how you do it. As yeah. someone who's done that twice with books, it's the way to do it. Yes, I think I remember somebody very smart on the other end of this call <laughs> telling me that many years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> might as well write with a purpose in mind. So, that's right. That's right. All right. Well, Sean, as always, fantastic talk with you and uh, look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you, Andy. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Sean Shepard. Join me again next week as my guest will be Stu Heineck. We're going to be talking about Stu's excellent new book, Get the Meeting. It's a follow-up to his previous book, which was also excellent, titled How to Get a Meeting with Anyone. And in this, our conversation, Stu and I will be talking about some of the strategies from his new book that will help you get that meeting. So be sure to join us then. And before you go, don't forget to check out The Sales House. The Sales House is my own growth training platform for B2B sellers just like you. I mean, if you're a seller who's reached the limits of what the supposed science of selling can do for you, and you're interested in learning about the art of winning, then join The Sales House. Learn how to master the human element of selling to crush your numbers. 
So for more information, visit thesaleshouse.com. That is thesaleshouse.com. So thanks again for joining me this week. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.